Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone who's logging on. Hello, community of hope. Yay. Hello. I know the Zoom stopped really well. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. good All right, everybody, keep hopping on. More and more people are coming on. How fun. This is awesome. It is. I get to meet. How many people? Hi there. Last I checked, there was about 160 people or more registered, but that was yesterday, so probably some more have jumped on today. Um, yeah. Yep. So right now there are 81 people, 82 people, 83 people in the meeting. A lot of pressure, Dale. I'm going to try not to mess this up, everybody. <laughs> Don't do good. All right. Hey, listen, guys. Well, we have people every second jumping on. Uh, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep muting everybody so we don't have 100 microphones going. Okay. Yep. All righty. All right. So if you can't go ahead and mute yourself. Um. Okay. And uh, I'm gonna. Great. Thank you for all you know. Do if you don't know, I'll take care of you in just a second. Wonderful. 95, 97 people, 99 people in the meeting. We have 100 people in the meeting already. Let's golf clap that. Kim is my sister-in-law. Great. Good to see everybody. I'm just scrolling the pages. Good to see everybody. I'm going to do that too, Trevor. I want to see her. Yeah, go for it. Just keep scrolling through. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of people I love. I can see a lot of people I love right there. Oh yeah. She's 48. This is great. All right. Let's see here. Do we have anybody else in the waiting room? Look at that. We have a hundred people who are right on time. No one's in the waiting room right now. How about that? Great. Okay. Great. Well, good to see everybody. I'm just going to keep letting people in. We're going to start on time. And uh, two couple quick things for a Zoom meeting. First off, since we're going to have Pastor Dale be presenting for us tonight to kick off Hope University, I would encourage you, if you're on a desktop or on a phone or tablet, if you can't switch to maybe speaker view. And so you'll see uh, Pastor Dale there. And uh, I'm going to pin myself first. There we go. And here I am. And uh, so there we go. Does everyone see me in the large video first? Everyone see, can you give me a thumbs up if that's true? No, just hit the standard right hand corner. All right. Close enough. Down? Thumbs down? I'm not in big view. Okay, well, if you can't hit speaker view. No, he wants to. Can, click speaker view for wherever, on whatever <laughs> device you're watching that. Okay? And then uh, it will highlight yeah. whoever is the speaker, and that will be a better experience for everybody. I don't see speaker view. Me neither. No. Walk through that, Trev, if you can. What did you say, Dale? I said walk people through that, how to find that yet again, okay? Yeah, it, it depends on what device you're on. Yeah. And so uh, just keep checking around with your settings. If you're on a desktop, it's going to be in your top right corner. Where you'll see either a bunch of little square dots or you'll see you know another type of window. There's speaker view and gallery view. Got it. Okay. There you yeah, go. I, you I see Dale. I don't see you. Hi, Trevor. How are you? Doing great. Doing great, everybody. So we're going to 
we're going to get there, okay? So do what you can to switch to speaker view. Just keep looking. I see lots of comments coming through with that. We're working okay. on it. Yep. Okay, great. So, so um, it's, it's not Dale. It's not you who's big. It's Dale because he's the speaker. Right. Right. That's fine. It's not on me right now? No. Yeah, it's on you. It's, we're looking at you. No. That's fine. No. We'll figure it out. That's looking okay. at Dale. Okay, great. That's okay. So, uh... I don't see Dale. Oh, there he is. Okay, there he is. Great. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. If you can, try to uh, mute your video. I can hit mute all for everybody if that'll make it a little bit easier. Okay. Uh -oh. okay. My computer There we go. All righty. Set up for Dale. All right, I'm going to hit mute. Did I just... And, uh... <laughs> all righty. Okay, so um, here's what we're going to do, everybody. Uh, great. So Dale and I are the only ones unmuted. So we're going to have a couple, just a few little rules of engagement for everybody. Welcome to the very first session of Hope University. This is a grand experiment we are trying. So this is new for us and new for the church. And we're just using the internet for new creative opportunities. Um, a couple of quick things. One, I don't know where you're at in Royal Palm Beach. It is raining cats and dogs. So we're just hoping nobody loses power or internet Please, dear Jesus, do that. So we're, we're praying for that. So just be watching for that. Um, a, couple, a couple little rules of engagement from 7 to 8. We're going to engage with teaching time. And then uh, what we're going to tell everybody is in the chat field, depending on whatever device you're on, it's going to be different for whatever phone or tablet or computer you're on. Look for the chat. And in the chat field throughout this time, uh, you'll be able to submit questions uh, to Pastor Dale, uh, though he will answer from 8 to 8.30. So any question that you have that is coming up as we're going on in this time, just go ahead and put that in there, and uh, we'll select some questions from that time moving forward, and we'll do that. So you're looking at the, um, from where we are to Pennsylvania Avenue, which, of course, is the street that separates the park and the actual White House grounds. Are the Okay, and I just got a message that uh, Zoom is limiting us to 100 people right now. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to introduce Pastor Dale, and uh, we're going to figure out why this is limiting to 100 people instead of uh, the other 50 or 60 who are supposed to be here. So a quick little introduction for Pastor Dale. Uh, tonight, our presenter for Hope University, really excited. He's a very own. You know him as Pastor Dale, but really tonight he is Dr. Dale. And uh, Dale has a Master of Divinity degree from Asbury Seminary that he got in 1988. He has a doctorate degree, a Doctor of Ministry in Biblical Preaching and Christian Church Leadership that he got in 2001. Uh, he has been in ministry for 32 years, and uh, he has spent uh, the past 24 of those pastoring Community of Hope, and uh, which is fantastic, which he started in his living room. And the past five years, our church has been recognized as one of the top five fastest growing churches in our entire denomination. And the past two years, we've been recognized as the fastest growing church in our denomination nationally, which is a great honor. Uh, Pastor Dale is on the trustees. Of, whoops, somebody turned their mic on. There we go. Uh, Pastor Dale... Uh, for, is on one of the trustees for Asbury Theological Seminary. He is on the Bishop's Cabinet for the Florida Annual Conference. He sits on the board of First Care Women's Clinic. 
which uh, he's on pastor advisory council for that organization. He's on the ministry advisor board for Palm Beach Atlantic University. And we have a great honor with him sharing with us tonight. He's such a humble guy that he just goes by Dale or Pastor Dale, but we really have an incredible pastor in our midst. And so that's a fantastic thing. So we're very honored uh, to have Dale here together. So, um, so that's, uh, that's our introduction for Dale. And Dale, I'm going to officially hand it off to you, okay? Awesome. Thank you, Trevor. Gosh, I hope I can live up to everything Trevor just said. Good gracious. So, hey, I am really honored to be with you guys. And I'm honored to take it some time uh, this summer for us to innovate around this. This is really the heart of our church right now. You know, uh, all of us are doing church different or participating in some different ways. And some of you know that over the last few years, we have always taken an opportunity in the summertime uh, under Kathy Copan's leadership. And I want to honor Kathy. Can we all just sort of golf clap uh, Kathy, who is on our team? And uh, Kathy has uh, used the summer uh, opportunities that we have uh, in front of us to help us dig a little bit deeper in the area of discipleship. And we've done different things. We've done opportunities to help people who our, uh, you know, our loved ones or friends who are not yet followers of Christ to be uh, a part of a, a classes or groups or uh, opportunities to help them maybe explore that. And we've also done some things to help those of us who are already followers of Jesus dig a little bit deeper. And that's what we're going to do this summer when all of the COVID virus hit us and we were in this space where we were learning to uh, automate and innovate around some new ideas. Kathy and I were talking about maybe uh, opening up an opportunity to invite some of our friends in that we know primarily through either Palm Beach Atlantic University uh, in the ministry department area over there, or some of the friends that both Trevor and I know through uh, Asbury Theological Seminary. So this is really um, a great opportunity. I want to say right at the beginning, I am humbled to be uh, teaching uh, in the uh, lineup that we have coming uh, over the coming weeks. And I told Kathy, I said, let me go first. That way um, the bar set kind of low and let me go first in case we have technical difficulties. We can, I, I can be the guinea pig in all this. So that's where we are tonight. And I'm really pumped about this. I want to commend all of you guys for jumping into this Zoom opportunity. There's going to be some great learning. And I think if you've not seen the list, I just want to share, I won't even share all the names, but I want to share some of the topics. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about end times and revelation. We're going to talk about women in ministry. We're going to talk about fresh expressions of church that God is doing to reach unchurched folks around uh, the nation and around our world. We're going to talk uh, about how to be a world Christian. I'm really pumped about that talk. That's going to come from uh, President Tim Tennant, who's the president of Asbury Theological Seminary. He's going to talk to us about world Christianity, what is happening in, in the scope of world Christianity all, all around the globe. We're going to learn about the Psalms. We're going to, we're going to close out the summer uh, with a study in hermeneutics, which is how to understand both the Old and New Testament. So we're going to throw it. We're going to, we're going to dig deep. We're going to move the tent stakes out. I am really pumped about this. So uh, I want to jump right into it. Trevor's already given you the rules of engagement. So if you have a question or an observation or something you want to talk about uh, as a result of, one of what I'm going to share, 
uh, I'm going to encourage you to, you know, get that going on chat. And then Trevor's going to lead us uh, through that time uh, straight up at the hour. So tonight, uh, people ask me all the time about some of the distinctives of Community of Hope and some of the distinctives of the Wesleyan understanding of Christianity. And whenever I get asked that, uh, there's kind of a framework that goes off in my mind. And uh, that's what I want to share with you tonight. I want to walk you through this uh, framework. But before we do it, I want to pray for us. So let's pray together, can we? Let's pray right now. Lord, I'm so thankful for this time. I'm grateful, really privileged and humble uh, for the opportunity in front of us to do some learning tonight. I pray again what uh, Trevor has offered to us, that, Lord, we would just have the capacity to stretch uh, our mind and stretch our heart around these topics, and that at the end result of our time, not only tonight, Jesus, but even throughout uh, these weekends across the summer, that our faith is going to deepen. And that, Lord, you're going to take us out almost like where you invited Peter out into deeper water. You're going to invite us out into deeper water. And I pray that as a result of that, Lord, you would warm, spiritually speaking, both our mind, our head, and our heart. Uh, That's what we're talking really about tonight. Be honored in this time. Use it for your purpose and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, whenever I think about some of these distinctives, you guys, and I want to encourage you to take notes, this is the framework that I work through. The first thing I would say this, I I get to be a follower of Christ, right? All of us, when, uh, you know, when we fully understand the gospel and we move in the direction toward Jesus, we have this heart that gets filled with gratitude and we we get to be a, a follower of Jesus. But Here's the thing that I think about, but I choose, this is me now, I choose and have chosen to be a Wesleyan in my understanding of how my faith works. So I get to be a follower of Jesus, I get to be a Christian, but I choose to be a Wesleyan. And I want to walk you through why that is and why I choose to be a Wesleyan. Um, One of the authors that I read from, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Steve Moore, says this, in his book, A Thoughtful Faith. Listen to this, and we'll use this as a way to tee off. He says, we are all theologians, whether we want to be or not. We all have ideas about God. We all wonder how God works. We all think about uh, what God has to say and uh, what, how God wants us to live. Our collection of ideas about God, however organized, however thought through or not, represents our theology. And so because this is true, the question really is not if we are theologians, but rather if we are good theologians or bad theologians. And and I want to use that really as a way to, to, to kick off what I want us to have a conversation about. Because here's what I think of. We all have situations in our lives for which our theology either informs or misinforms the way we believe the world works. All of us have friends. Think about this. We all have friends. We all have family uh, who may not self-identify as a follower of Jesus, but they are watching you and me, and they are listening to you and me as their own resident Christian theologian. 
And so here's what I think. A lot is, stake, is at stake. Uh, when I was at Asbury the first time, I remember taking an exegesis class. And for those of you that don't, don't know, exegesis is the study of really, uh, in this sense, it was the study of the Greek language. So since so much of the New Testament is written out of Koine Greek language, so we had to become proficient with that. And I was uh, in this class, I took this class as a J term, which meant this is what it really looked like. I would go to class uh, from about 8.30 in the morning till noon, and I would study Greek uh, all that time. I would go to lunch from 12 to 1, and then I would go back to the library from 1 o'clock till about 9 o'clock. And I would get up the next day and do that. I did that for 30 days in a row. But I rem- what I remember about that class, and I don't remember a lot about that class, but here's what I do remember. I remember one uh, morning, our Greek professor coming in, and he told this story about a missionary that was serving in a- another part of the world, and how because he didn't understand correctly how to interpret a particular biblical passage, that he had wounded a group of people that he was trying to explain what it meant like what it meant to follow Jesus. And I'll never forget this because he was kind of an intimidating person uh, as, a, as a professor. I mean, he was very intense. And, and he just started to cry and he started to beat his hand on the on the pulpit that he was teaching from. And this is what he said. He said, you know, the way we interpret the Bible and the way we live out the Bible is incredibly important. There's so much at stake. And I've never forgotten that. And this is what I I think about whenever we're invited into a conversation about, you know, let's talk about theology. Let's let's move the tent stakes out and learn a little bit. So what I want to do is I want to walk us through a conversation of why it is that I choose to be Wesleyan in my understanding. And so we're going to talk really about a couple of things in particular, but before I do, I want to tee up the, the, the convener, really, of the conversation, which is John Wesley. And, and for those of you who don't, don't know who he is, I want to just give you a brief overview and a brief synopsis, synopsis of his life so that you're going to have some understanding of some things that I'm going to walk us through in just a few moments, okay? Is that okay? Everybody shake your head that that's okay. All right, very good. I, I can't see it, but I, I could feel your head shaking right now. All right, so John Wesley uh, lived from 1703 to 1791. He was an Anglican priest who grew up in the home of an Anglican priest. So this is what John Wesley ended up an Anglican priest, but he grew up in the home of someone who served as an Anglican priest, Samuel and Susanna Wesley. Uh, His dad was not a great Anglican priest. And so this is what we know about him. But his mother was fantastic. And so uh, many of you have heard of her before back in history. Her name was Susanna Wesley. Susanna was the the 25th child of 25 children. And um, it's sort of interesting. And she had 19 children herself. And so for those of you know, you know, I, we have, uh, Beth and I have two daughters. Our youngest daughter, Shelly's middle name is Susanna, named after uh, Susanna Wesley. We told her we expect 19 grandchildren. So that's, that's why we did that. And then um, if you don't know, Susanna Johnston, Trevor and Leah's youngest child, is also named after this fantastic woman. She was an incredible woman. She had 19 kids herself. 
Nine of them uh, died in infancy, but she uh, had an incredible impact upon her home. She was a deeply devout uh, follower of Jesus. And where her husband sort of struggled, she did not struggle. And in fact, part of the, part of the wonder of the story that's going to move us into some of what I want to talk about is that um, at one point when uh, Samuel Wesley was serving Epworth Church, uh, you know, uh, on the outskirts of London and not doing well, he was actually put in, in debtor's prison uh, because he was not, you know, not doing well. Susanna started a Bible study. And it was an incredible Bible study. And as a result of it, you know, um, everybody in the town started coming to the Bible study. Uh, Samuel Wesley heard about it and tried to ask her not to do it because, you know, uh, uh, you know, the whole idea about women and, you know, in, in a subservient role. This was a different era. This was a different day. And she just took it upon herself to continue to keep this Bible study. And it just you know, frankly, lit the town on fire. The kids were deeply impacted by this. Uh, there's a story about her when she would have her quiet time, if you can imagine, with, with so many kids. So she ended up with 11, I think it was, uh, that, you know, she actually uh, was able to raise. And uh, her kids learned when she was spent, would spend time with the Lord, she had, if I remember the story right, she had a way of, she would take her apron and she would pull it, she would sit at the table and pull her apron over her head that was a sign to all of her kids to leave her alone. She was talking to Jesus and she was having her quiet time. So this is an incredibly uh, pious woman, incredibly devout woman. And um, as a result of this, two kids were deeply impacted. These are the two that uh, you would know, one of which we're going to talk about tonight and how his ministry has really impacted the world and impacted our church. Uh, and this is Charles Wesley and John Wesley. I want to show you a picture of Charles Wesley. You know Charles Wesley. He uh, was uh, a hymnologist. He wrote over, uh, we believe, 6,000 hymns. Uh, some of the hymns you know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, which uh, I ask our musical team to sing it every year at Easter. You're going to hear that every year. Oh, 4,000 tongues to sing, angels we have heard on high. These are some of the songs that uh, Charles Wesley wrote uh, but it was his brother that uh, John that we're going to talk about tonight and learn a little bit more about him and his impact. John Wesley, uh, as I said, uh, became an, an Anglican priest. Uh, he, for a short time, actually came to the Americas, uh, to the colony of Georgia, where he came to be a missionary, frankly, uh, from the Anglican faith to reach the Native Americans. He had recently broken up with a woman. And so, you know, he was struggling with that. He came to the Americas to be a missionary. And by all accounts, he was a dismal failure uh, in this. In fact, let me give you a little cultural thing. If you go to uh, Savannah, the town of Savannah, which is where John Wesley was, you can go still to this day to Wesley Park. If you've ever seen the movie, uh, Forrest Gump, uh, and you remember that, you know, uh, Tom Hanks sits out on that park bench. Behind him in that park bench, just off to his left, is a statue of John Wesley. He is sitting in Wesley Park there in Savannah, Georgia, and you can go see where he served. You have to go, you have to, go to the, the Episcopal Church, not the Methodist Church. Remember, it didn't exist then, 
And so John Wesley was serving uh, here as a missionary to the Native Americans. It was a dismal failure. He kind of gave up on that. He was traveling back to England. And when he traveled back to England, he encountered the ship he was on and encountered a terrible storm. Uh, it was a storm that raged so much he thought that he was gonna, uh, that the ship was gonna sink, he was gonna go down. There were a group of people on this ship, the ship was manned by a group of Moravians. And, uh, and, and in the middle of the night, when he was fearing for his life, uh, they were singing hymns and had this faith that John Wesley said that later on when he reflected on it, he said they had, they had a measure of devotion that I didn't have. And that sort of just encapsulated and epitomized that whole experience to, to, to America. But as we're going to learn, it was God manifesting uh, his grace in a very unique way in this. So John Wesley goes back to England. Uh, there's a period of time where, you know, it's just not working and he gets invited over to a, uh, you know, uh, a meeting where a group of Christians were, were, were meeting together to study, um, through the, uh, uh, John Luther's preface to the book of Romans. And they were studying through this and it, and, and this was May 24th, 17, 38, uh, at this meeting, the Society of Aldersgate meeting. And um, John Wesley, it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit really came to John Wesley, and he felt in that moment that he gave his life to Christ, and that he says what now has become a famous thing. He said, I felt like in this moment my heart was strangely warm. This is what he says. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even my sins, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And he reflected on that and said, my heart was strangely warmed as a result of this this experience. Now, here's why I share all this. This is what starts this movement. And the movement uh, he started within the Anglican church really was a renewal movement inside of the church that eventually became what we recognize as the Methodist movement. At first, the Methodist movement, the word, the word even Methodist, was a derisive term. It was, it was used as a way to make fun of John Wesley and those who followed his organizational way around which he applied his faith and lived his faith. And so John, uh, so John Wesley, um, this is where it, it takes off. The Wesleyan movement has started and here's where I wanted to part, and we're gonna we're gonna do some some learning. Um, the Wesleyan movement became synonymous with an understanding of these things. And if you're taking notes, you maybe want to write this down with an understanding of grace, with an assurance of salvation, with an understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit, and the love of Christ in the human heart. Let me just say that again. The Wesleyan movement became synonymous with an understanding of how grace is at work in our lives, that we can have, number two, the assurance of our salvation, thirdly, the personal work of the Holy Spirit, and the love of Christ upon 
uh, the human heart. And so um, what Wesley started, which really became, you know, the first great awakening, uh, you know, across the world, whenever, and whenever we think of uh, tremendous faith, whenever we think of this, whenever we think about charismatic expressions of our faith, whenever we sing a worship song from Hillsong when, or from Bethel, uh, we can honestly trace all the roots of that back to John Wesley. This is sort of his contribution. And, and, and th- I think of it this way, you guys, uh, each movement uh, within, the, the, within the tribe of Christianity, okay, so in, in the global scope of the Christian faith, uh, each particular tribe within Christianity brings a particular gift to the body of Christ. And this is the gift that the Wesleyans bring to the Christian experience. And really, here's the gift. It's a deeper understanding of how grace is at work in our lives. And this is really what I want to talk to us about and have us have a bit of a conversation around, okay? Many of you, you've probably heard this before. I I know I've preached this and said this before. We think about a definition of grace. Grace is to receive, in many ways, what we don't deserve. We've heard that, right? That's what grace is, in a way. Mercy is to not receive what we do deserve. Um, What I want to do is move back over to the idea of grace, and I want to walk us through how, how John Wesley, when he read the scriptures, how he, you know, began to see how grace is at work in our, in our lives. And this is really, it's probably the preeminent reason why I choose to live my faith as a Wesleyan. Because once I really understand this, I, I think it's fair to say also, I mean, I, my heart got warm around this. Uh, I've been infected by this, and I, I've never gotten over it. I'm never going to get over it. And so this is such a joy and such a delight to share this with you. So I want to give you four rhythms of grace. And if you want to take notes, you can have that. Maybe you have some questions at the end we're going to talk through. I'm going to connect it to some scriptures. And the first, uh, the first movement of grace that Wesley talked about a lot that he saw within scripture is grace that is defined as this, provenient grace. Provenient grace. And I think Trevor's going to put that screen up. There it is. And provenient grace, John Wesley thought, was the grace of God that comes to us prior to salvation, prior to our understanding of our need to have a Savior. Okay? Um, There is a kind of grace, Wesley thought, that is running and available uh, in our lives and is operating in every human heart around the globe uh, before we either know who God is or we make a conscious decision to follow him. Oftentimes, provenient grace is manifested this way. It's manifest through the lives of people that flow in and out of our lives, okay? And it's manifest in the way that we experience certain circumstances or certain experiences that become over time a means of grace to us. Um, 
Praveenia grace is revealed in this kind of idea. It's, it is um, this central idea that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, always makes the first move in our direction. Now, we know this is true because we know Scripture, uh, and, you know, you, you guys know the way I preach, and when I'm preaching, a lot of times I'm, I'm preaching the Scriptures that are important to me. I try to, you know, you guys are really kind, and people will say, man, you know, when you preach, it's, it's like you're, you're, you're living in my closet. You know what I'm thinking, and, and, and how do you do that? It's because I'm preaching to myself first. And so when I think about provenient grace and I think about a scripture that, that lines up with this, I think of this scripture, um, Paul tell, says it in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Here it is. He says this, you see at just the right time, Paul writes, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And he goes on to say this, he goes, now very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might, might care to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, and that's the powerful phrase, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is an example for, for John Wesley uh, of, of the idea of provenient grace. You probably have loved ones. And in fact, if I push hard enough, here's what I would tell you. You at once in your life, one time in your life, you felt this way. I, I have uh, felt this way in my life before that um, I had to clean my life up to, um, before I could come to God. And here we learn in the scripture, actually, that's not true. That's not, that's not biblical. Uh, that we, we come to God. God is, God is trying to uh, initiate a relationship with us and move us uh, into the space where God can work his miraculous power in, in restorative ways in our lives. I can remember years ago when, I think it was 2012, when we moved um, into, let's see, uh, when we had, we had moved into the building, let's see, 2011, 2012, we did a series in our church, some of you are going to remember it, and we did a series called um, No Perfect People Allowed. And really, um, that was me trying to take an idea of my own Wesleyan understanding of how the Christian faith works and, and, and speak that in a cultural way that help people understand you don't got to get cleaned up to come to God. You come to God and they'll clean you up. And uh, we still, it's real funny. I still see people when we do different events in our church, I'll see people wearing that old shirt. We probably should do that again. And they'll, they'll wear that old shirt. Now it's been a long time. So, you know, I'll see that here, here's the shirt, you know, no perfect people allowed. And a lot of us, you know, what I remember about that time is a lot of people, um, you know, had come from an expression of the Christian faith where they just thought that wasn't true. And so that was really a powerful kind of idea to get around it. Well, this is the idea that, that, that um, Paul demonstrates to us. This is the idea that, that um, John Wesley's capturing in this idea of grace and provenient grace in particular. Uh, think about this. Here's another verse. It's 1 Peter chapter 3.15. Peter's writing this, and he says this. But in your hearts, he says, uh, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, uh, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
these are all scriptures where J- John Wesley thaw, uh, saw this is how provenient grace works. Um, and in this stage, there are a couple things that happen. And for those of you that are taking notes, here's what John Wesley felt like happens at a provenient grace stage. God gives us a basic knowledge that he's there and that he's good. Now, I want to ask you to think with me for a moment. When was the first time you began to think about that there was a God in heaven and that maybe some of the bad press you had learned about this God in heaven heaven maybe wasn't true? Uh, and, and we have people all across this continuum. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you about my, my precious wife. You know, my, my wife, Beth, will tell you, she says, you know, I, I, I don't know that I can ever really remember a time when I didn't, you know, think that God was good. She just sort of grew up with this awareness that there is this God in heaven who loves her, that, that is good. But uh, there are those others of us who come from a different perspective. And we had, we had to, we were on a journey. But we came to this place where we began to give God a second look. Here's what Wesley would say. That is God's provenient grace pulling you toward a relationship with him. God gives us a basic knowledge of his uh, attributes. Uh, Those who write about this say this. At a provenient grace level, God gives us the gift of conscience so that we we begin to see the world in a way that would uh, include that God is at work in the world? You know, that's a big question right now, right? I mean, our world is uh, in many ways in a dark and difficult place right now. And people are looking for hope. And people who have long since given up on God right now, they're giving God a second look. And um, here's what John Wesley would say about that. That is God's provenient grace. Why? because God always makes the first move in our direction. And we know this. Think about this with me. We celebrate this every year uh, at Christmas. We always talk about the incarnation, uh, for, you know, and where John talks about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That's God's provenient grace manifests in our lives. So that's the first um, click. That's the first rhythm of grace. And and we may have some questions we'll come back to. to. Let me give you the second one. First one is provenient grace. Here's the second one, justifying grace. Sometimes it's referred to as converting grace uh, or saving grace. And here's what John Wesley believed. John Wesley believed that it is at this level that we experience freedom from the guilt of sin. Isn't that awesome? freedom from the guilt of sin. This is actually where salvation happens. Now, here's the difference. Provenient grace gives us an awareness of his presence, but um, provenient grace is not enough to save us, okay? It's not enough to save us. Justifying grace is where salvation happens. This is what happens here is that uh, John Wesley felt the legal sense of our sins being held against us are no longer held against us. Um, When Paul talked about this again in Romans 6, he said it this way. He said, and you've heard this before, for the wages of sin is death. And here's literally what Paul was saying. 
there's there's almost like uh, like he's saying that almost in terms of a monetary exchange. What we have earned uh, by our, from our sin, what we've earned, okay, is is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God's grace, uh, you know, of of salvation is God's grace manifest in our life. John Wesley would call this uh, justifying grace. And so the legal sense of our sins are satisfied. And uh, this is where new birth happens to us. Uh, This is that moment when we become uh, a Christ follower. And so when you think right now about that moment that you gave your life to Christ, you know, for the very first time, you learned about this God in heaven, you learned about him living this perfect life, you learned about him dying a uh, sacrificial death for you, and, and, and you, you transferred the weight of your sin and your debt over to him and said, you know, there's, Lord, there's never a way that I'm going to be able to earn or be good enough to earn your favor, earn your salvation. I'm just going to trust what you did on the cross for me. John Wesley would say, that is saving grace or justifying grace. And three things happen uh, at this level, he thought. He thought at this level, this is when we begin to trust the work of Christ for our salvation and nothing else. Uh, One of the biggest challenges uh, Trevor and I have uh, in preaching a lot of times uh, at at Community of Hope in our our culture, okay, is that uh, we have to help people understand that they cannot earn their salvation. And a lot of times when, when I'm talking to people about this kind of thing, this is the conversation I want to have. I want to help them understand that the only way we're ever going to experience forgiveness for our sin, the only way we're ever going to receive the promise of eternity in heaven when we die is to recognize that we needed a savior to do it. And where other religions, you know, define their, their, their religion by a system of do's or don'ts, Christianity is a religion about what Christ has done for us. And this is what it means to experience justifying grace. Um, Wesley thought we trust uh, in the work of Christ for salvation, nothing else. We experience here uh, a supporting and sustaining belief around this idea. There's something that changes in our heart, and we recognize that, um, that, that, that a transaction has been made, and something is different inside as a result of, of what Christ has done for us. And then Wesley felt this. This is powerful. He felt that at this level, it's here that we receive the assurance of our salvation. So if you're taking notes, let me give you a couple of verses that explain this. And these are just kind of the high note, high key verses where he saw this. One is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Many of us know this. Paul writes it. He says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. Look at this. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that we can, you know, be self-assured about it. We, we can't earn it. This is what Paul is saying. And look at how John the Beloved writes this in 1 John 5. He says, I write these things, he says. Look at this. I write these things 
uh, to you who believe uh, in the name of the Son of God. Trevor, can we go to that next verse, 1 John 5, 13? So that you may know that you have eternal life. So here's what I want to tell everybody that's listening to me right now. Can you know that you have eternal life? Look at what John is saying. You can know it. You, you can set this aside and not have to worry about this ever again. How, how can you know that? Because Jesus has taken care of your sins uh, in his death on the cross and then his subsequent resurrection. This is uh, what John Wesley thought of as justifying grace. And we, in justifying grace, we receive freedom from the guilt of our sin. It doesn't enslave us anymore, okay? So we have, saint, uh, we have prevenient grace, and then we have justifying grace. Here's the third one. Ready for the third one? The third one is sanctifying grace. And this is, uh, this is the big one. This is the one that I think is the contribution uh, of a Wesleyan understanding. This is the contribution that Wesley offers to the whole body of Christ. And, and I want to explain this to you. And Wesley, let me, let me say this first. Wesley felt that uh, sanctifying grace gives us freedom from the power of sin. So justifying grace frees us from guilt. Sanctifying grace frees us from sin's grip on our lives. This, this is where we begin to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is where we begin to change. And one of the things that I love, I mean, this is, I gotta be honest with you guys, you know, back when we used to worship in public, remember when we used to do that? Like we would come together and see each other and hug and then sing and pray. Remember, I'm kind of being, yeah, whatever. But um, here's what I want to say. Um, one of the things I love about our church is when people uh, tell me that they've been in our church a long time and they go, you know what? I mean, I can tell you the way I came into our church and I'm no longer that person. I know who I was when I started at Community Hope. And I'm just, I'm not the same person anymore. And that's not, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with, with, with anybody but the work uh, of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the human life. And, and this, is, this is really, really cool uh, part of, of Wesleyan theology. It is the grace that is represented in our growing Christ-likeness, okay? This is, let me, let me say this and I can further explain. This is the heart of the Christian experience. This is the heart of what our faith would lead us toward. And it creates within us a desire to experience uh, everything that God has to offer to us. Uh, Wesley uh, described it this way. He called provenient grace the porch uh, to our faith. All right. And a lot of, you know, he said it's not enough to save us, but it's enough to interest us. You know, like you can look back. I think uh, a lot of us, if we've been through if we've been converted, we become a follower, we've been justified, right? To use his terminology, we can look back and go, when I went through that hard time, God used that in a way 
to say some things to me that I now recognize were provenient grace. Uh, I can look back at my own life and I can remember a conversation. I can remember an experience with my older brother. I can remember a neighbor that uh, had some impact upon my life in an incredible way. Uh, I can remember different experiences and circumstances I went through that God just used those in a way to let me see that he's there, that he loves me, that he cares for me. And then when I come to faith in Christ, that's the moment of salvation. And then we get over here to sanctification, and sanctification is when we begin to grow. Here's how Paul described it. So I want to give you a verse around each one of these. In Colossians 2, one of my favorite verses, one of the first verses uh, I memorize as a follower of Jesus and is this one. I want to read it to you in the NIV, and the new NIV translation says this. He said, Paul says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. All right, pause. That's justifying grace. Watch what Paul says here, though. Continue to live your lives in him. Become rooted in him. Become built up in him. Become strengthened in your faith as you are overtaught until you overflow with thankfulness. That's the process of sanctification. That's what Paul was describing. That's what John Wesley was describing when he read some of these verses in in the Bible, like from Paul uh, and others. And and this is this is the great, you know, kind of move. I I, I thought of an example. Trevor and I were talking about earlier today. Uh, a, a great example of uh, sanctifying grace at work in our church. And if you don't know it, let me let me tell you what it is. It's our Celebrate Recovery Ministry. And uh, uh, for years at Community of Hope, I, I wanted to start a ministry. I uh, wanted to offer Celebrate Recovery. And in the early days, some of you are on this call. I've seen the names. Some of you have you know, been, on, been in our church a long time. Uh, we had 14 years in rented facilities. And, and those who, who uh, uh, convened and wrote and started Celebrate Recovery wouldn't let us uh, start a recovery ministry when we were in the high school because we were not we were not in charge of when we could meet. And so like if we did recovery, you know, when you do recovery work, it's really important that it never stops. Our, our recovery ministry happens every Monday. They met this past Monday in a social distance way, uh, I think at Commons Park. And, and so, you know, they were, they were, they were, you know, we just meet. And so when we finally got to our building, I wanted, and we started Celebrate Recovery, uh, God has used our recovery ministry to bring, transformation to hundreds of people. And um, it's such a great example of how sanctification works because you start, you start here, but, but you end in a different, different place. And, and here's where I want to challenge you a little bit. This might be some great conversation on the other end when we, when we go to the Q and a and hope you guys got some questions for me. Okay. If you stump me, I'll give them to Trevor, but here's, here's the thing that I think about uh, in this. We love the idea uh, about a church where no perfect people are allowed, okay? But here's one of the hallmarks of the Christian experience and a Wesleyan understanding of the Christian experience, and that is that God calls us to grow, and God calls us to change, and God calls us to mature in our faith. Uh, Paul said it this, this way when he was writing once to the churches in Galatia. He said, um, I feel, and I'll paraphrase it here, he said, I feel almost like 
I'm in the throes of childbirth, like I'm in labor. Uh, I want so badly, he said to the Galatian church, uh, for you to grow up and become fully mature in your faith. And this is, this is really, this is one of the hallmarks of the Wesleyan experience. Um, it may, and, and when I think about celebrate recovery, it may be one of the most Wesleyan things we do in our church because it, it, we teach people a method of, of how to apply these principles and how to apply these steps and how to move toward Christ's likeness and away from our hurts and our habits and our hangups. And this is what it means to become sanctified. Now, let me say this real quickly, okay? Hang with me. No, we're doing a lot here. But, but I want to say here, it, embedded in this understanding of sanctifying grace, right? You know, uh, preventing grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, is, is something that John Wesley believed in, which he called, which we now know as uh, the doctrine of Christian perfection, okay? And uh, the doctrine of Christian perfection is that John Wesley believed literally that um, we could grow in our faith to the point where the grip of sin just um, that we lose our interest in it. That, that, you know, like when you read the Bible, the Bible says that we would, you know, we would, perf- uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, that we would perfect holiness out of reverence for Christ, that we would grow in holiness, that there would be movement, you know, that, that the, the way we begin is not the way we end. And I think, I think this is a really important part of our conversation because a lot of times, if I were to be honest, when I hear people explain the Christian faith, uh, they can explain what it means to give your life to Christ. And then oftentimes, that's it. That, like, that's all I hear. And, 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 and here's what I want to say. John Wesley thought that, you know, um, that prevenient grace was the porch. He thought that justifying grace uh, was the door to our salvation, right? That's when we become a Christian. But he thought holiness of heart and life was the actual religion itself, that we just become uh, perfect in holy love. And when he was asked once to describe what that looked like, he said, you know, I mean, he said, he pointed to Jesus and he said, Jesus took all of those, what was it, 612 Levitical laws, and he boiled them down to two. And he said, love the Lord your God with all, you you know it, you can say it with me, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said, and then learn to love your neighbor like yourself. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been watching everything that's been going on. I had a friend of mine call me today and and his store that his wife owns was destroyed last night by, you know, I don't think protesters, you know, I think by people embedded in that, you know, that are just doing some bad things right now. 
And, 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 and I, I, I look at that, I look at our world and I go, what would it, what would it be like if all of us learned how to walk in holy love toward one another, to love our neighbors, ourselves? A lot of what you and I are seeing in our culture right now, a lot of, a lot of stuff, you know, with racism, a lot of stuff with all of this crime, a lot of this stuff and all of this rhetoric, we would just see it drop to the floor. And, and Wesley believed that it was literally possible uh, for this to happen. And this is the doctrine of Christian perfection. Not that we become perfect in our knowledge, not that we don't ever make mistakes, not that we're not ever tempted. But uh, he said it this way, and I love it. He said that the love of God dawns on our heart to such a level that it plucks the root of sin from our heart. And we just become different human beings. And, and this is a powerful thing. In fact, I think at this moment, what I was going to do, and I think Trevor's obviously here, and I wanted to invite Trevor into the conversation at this point for a moment, and because um, he may have some things he wants to say also uh, about, this, about this topic of Christian perfection. Trevor, are you there? I can't see you. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Great. Okay. Well, that's just in your gallery view that you can switch. Um, if anybody else is seeing Dale, what you can do is move your cursor over. If you're on a desktop, you change how many people you're seeing or not and your options. Um, yeah, the, the idea of Christian perfection, it sounds almost too good to be true. And many people misunderstand so much of what uh, Wesley meant by Christian perfection. Um, most people uh, are repelled by anybody who had, had claims that people can't be perfect or they can be perfect. Um, but what Wesley meant by that, just really briefly, is what you saying, Christians, they don't grow in perfection, not in the sense of like, they're not perfect in knowledge, so you're never going to mess up on a Sudoku puzzle or crossword puzzle or math equation. It's not perfect like that. That's not it. Thank God, because I stink at crossword puzzles, and I want, I want to experience this type of grace in my life. It's not free from ignorance or mistakes. It's not free from getting sick and not experiencing the pains and sufferings of life. It's not even free from ever being tempted. It's not freedom from that. And uh, it's not any of those types of perfection. Think of the idea of Christian perfection uh, scripturally. Of Think of it as Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But the better idea is to be fully mature in faith. So the mission statement of our church is that we want to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and grow to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Imagine that there's a type of grace that exists, again, not by works, but by grace. There's a type of grace that exists that will lead you to a point where you are actually fully devoted with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength uh, to the Lord our God. And so what is being perfect means? It means that you're free from uh, evil thoughts and evil tempers within ourselves, not temptations, but the root of sin being plucked out. Like Dale said, we lose the taste for sin. That was awesome, Dale. I loved it when you said that. And that we're free to obey the two great commandments, free to give God all of our heart, free to give everything to him to love other people as ourselves. And that it's actually possible in this life to experience this grace. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I just, I want to, I want to live my life in a way, I want to engage in my faith in a way that, um, 
that I just grow in my love for Jesus Christ. You know, I was reading today, I think if I can find it, um, you know, just in real time here, um, you know, I was in my own uh, devotional practice, you know, uh, er earlier today. Um, Brennan Manning writes this. He says, at the end of the day, everyone, he says, Christianity is not an ethical code. So there's a lot of things about Christianity that are ethical. There's a lot of things that we embrace. There's habits. There's things we do. There's things, right, that we refrain from doing. All of that is true. But listen to this. He says, at the end of the day, he said, Christianity is not an ethical code. It's a love affair. It's a love affair, a spirit-filled way of living aimed at making us professional, he means this in the best sense of the word, professional lovers of God and professional lovers of people. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's it, right? I mean, if you were to point at the end zone, what is, what is the end zone? And what is, what, you know, what is our faith and body? What does our world need? I mean, my goodness gracious, this is what our world, you know, needs right now. It's just lost its way. And so, um, you know, I wanted to, I don't want to skinny past this. I did put a quote in my notes tonight. Uh, and, you know, this is, this is unique for me. We're trying some stuff on because, you know, I, I, I love interaction. So it's kind of hard for me to just, man, I'm going to just drop a bunch of stuff on you guys for an hour. So I want you to know your pastor, this is not my favorite way to do this. But anyhow, John Wesley said this, he goes, full sanctification. This is what we're talking about. He said, it's the grand depositum which God has lodged with the people called Methodists, all right? And for the sake of propagating this chiefly, God appears to have raised us up for this purpose. And so, you know, what he's doing there, he's just saying that there, there is, you know, there is a way that we should live our lives that um, where God just owns it all. And you know what? I think this, I've been around a few people in my life that I, I see they're going on to Christian perfection. Um, I want to tell you a little thing. We don't talk a lot about this, but uh, to be a, an ordained elder in our tradition, our Wesleyan tradition, uh, Trevor and I, who are ordained elders, okay, we remember a few years ago, this is one of the cool things about our church, is when uh, Pastor Trevor came to be a pastor on our team, we got to experience somebody who, was walking through that, all of that ordination process. And we don't really talk about that a lot. That's not necessarily something that we focus on, but this was such a cool thing because it really is a big moment and there's a lot involved in that. And Trevor did it so well. And I just want to brag on him because I just remember, you know, I have friends who are on the boards that serve and, you know, who called me after all of that and just said, you know, my gosh, Trevor just sort of led the way. And of course I was like, well, of course he did, you know, but at any rate, um, we, we saw Trevor get ordained. Here's an interesting historical thing. Every year, Trevor and I have to answer a question. And this is the question. It's a, it's a question that John Wesley would ask of all of his preachers. And he would ask this question, are you going on to Christian perfection? Are you going on? Is it your desire to reach the place, everybody, where it could be rightfully said of you that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your, your, your mind, right? And that you are loving your neighbor 
as yourself. And, and I got to tell you, I look around the world today and I want to go, we, we got work to do. And, and this is what our world needs. And so this is, this is the great thing that I think Wesley offered. And then lastly, me, let me just say this and give another example that we could go to some questions. Uh, the last click in the way John Wesley looked at grace, there was prevenient grace, there was justifying grace, there was sanctifying grace. It's sort of when we grow up. And then lastly, real quickly, he talked about glorifying grace. And glorifying grace really is the final act of God's grace upon our lives, which, is, which happens at our death. And John Wesley literally believed that all Christians die well. In fact, John Wesley's last words were this, the best of all is God is with us. And he just believed that to the very, very end. And this is an example of this. And so when I, when I think about why I choose to live my life and orient my faith around a Wesleyan perspective, it's because I can see the shades and the colors of all the aspects of those examples of grace in, in my life and in my experience. I, I can see God's prevenient grace in my life before I knew who he was. Uh, I can see him coalescing experiences and people and circumstances in a way that, that I began to realize there's a God in heaven and that he's good. Uh, I get, I remember when I came to faith in Christ, I remember what that looks like, uh, for all of my friends on here on this zoom tonight from our East campus, uh, I could go to the chapel and I can talk about, you know, moments at the altar in the chapel where God was, you know, working out his justifying grace in my life, working out his sanctifying grace in my life. And then one day prayerfully will work out his glorifying grace in my life. So that's one, one aspect. I want to give you one more. I don't need to explain it for a whole hour. But here's another reason real quickly why I choose to be uh, a Wesleyan of my understanding. And it's um, because John Wesley, this whole thing that we talked about was exemplified in how he thought Christianity worked. And it worked around what we've just talked about over this last hour is, is, is what he talked about. Uh, it can be termed vital piety which meant, you know, like that we just come to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But here's, here's what's distinctive about the Wesleyan faith. That vital piety, that way that we live our faith, is always going to push us toward what he termed social holiness. And, it, and it's this, that our faith will show up in the way we live our lives, and it will have an impact upon the world around us. And so it's not just holiness, but it was holiness manifest in kind of the, the, the social way we lived within our community, that our communities were better, Wesley thought, because Christians lived in the community. And this is, you know, this is, I wanted to say, as a moment of challenge, this is a moment where where we are learning to retool that. Uh, if you heard my message last week, you, you could go back and listen to it or podcast it. And, uh, you know, many of us grew up, I said, I think I said something like this. A lot of us grew up thinking that our religion was the solution. And, and in fact, right now, I mean, we, it is the solution. We believe that. But there's a lot of people in our world because they've misunderstood it or it's not been lived in a way that they could grab it right 
they have seen our religion as part of the problem. And, and you can see that in our culture. You know, there's some stuff sometimes where people are claiming great faith and then we see what they do or we see how they speak or we see how they act and we go, I don't, I don't know that that represents the ethic of Jesus and the ethic of the kingdom. And this is, this is a real conversation right now. Uh, we become so divided, right? We're so uh, politically divided. You know, and we, we, we bleed blue or we bleed red. And, you know, this is a hot topic right now. And um, there's a lot of conversation that we need to have, you know, around that. I, I want to stop before I open it up for questions. I, I thought I would say this, you know, as an example of vital piety. Uh, historians believe that one of the last letters that John Wesley wrote, it might have been the last letter he wrote but certainly one of the last letters he wrote was a letter that he wrote to William Wilberforce. I want to show you a picture of him. If you don't know who he is, he is the guy really that is responsible for ending the scourge of slavery in Britain. And um, as a result of William Wilberforce's work, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of the ending of the slave trade and, you know, the abolitionist movement and all of that really began. Uh, Wesley wrote him uh, not too long before he died. And, and I, it's written in, 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 in English style. Of course, it's hard. I'm going to try to paraphrase it as best I can. But let me, uh, the reason I share this at the end, this is an example of um, vital piety and social holiness that, Faith is going to show up in a way that it pushes against the ills of our society. And he says this, he says, Dear Sir, Wesley writes, he says, Unless the divine power has raised you uh, to be, as as he names this guy, he says, I do not see how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing the irascible villainy which the scandal of religion of England and of human nature is before us. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you'll be worn out by the opposition of men and by the devil. But if God be before you, who is it, William, that can be against you? Mm. All of them together, uh, are, are all of them together stronger than our God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on, William. Go on in the name of God. Man, it just gives me a lot of emotion here. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery. Listen to what he writes here, which is the vilest that ever saw the sun shall vanish away before our eyes. And then he goes on, he says, reading this morning a tract written by a poor, and this is what he says, a poor African. He said, I was particularly struck by that circumstance that a man who has a black skin being wronged or outraged by a white man can have no redress by the law in our colonies. And that an oath of a black against white goes for nothing. This is villainy. Go on, William, that he who has guided you up from youth may continue to strengthen you in this and in all things 
this is my prayer for you, dear sir. Your affectionate servant, John Wesley. Boom, right? Might drop on that. That's just an example of what Wesley would say. Our faith is going to push us to address the evils of our world in the strength and in the might of Jesus. And, and I think with that, you know, I'm going to stop. I need to take a breath and maybe we can go to questions. Trev, can I turn it over to you? Sure. Absolutely. All righty. Uh, let me on the slideshow here. Great. Thank you, Dale. Um, we have a lot of comments, uh, lots of amens from that last quote from Wesley. Praise God for that. Um, uh, we have a comment when you talked about you experiencing the justifying grace of God in the chapel at good, uh, what was formerly Good Shepherd, now our East Campus. We had uh, Gloria, one of the matriarchs of our church at the East Campus. Gloria chimed in, said, yes, I remember. Oh. <laughs> Come on. We got, we, got awesome. here. we got people who are on here who are praying you into the kingdom, man. Amen. That's awesome. Come and we on. probably have a few people, maybe even Gloria, that might have wondered a day or two whether that would ever happen, right? So that, that moves me. That's um, awesome. Yeah, so um, lots, lots of great, great stuff. We have a couple of really good thoughtful questions, uh, mostly around, the, uh, around grace and the order of salvation we talked about. And so it's kind of just – uh, some all around some of that. So you're ready for me to just hit you at random with some of these? Yeah, go, go ahead. Right. Oh, hey, um, before before we hit those questions, everybody, I just want to say uh, thank you to all of you who are, were patient with us. And we think we had Zoom change some settings on us within the past two weeks from our planning. So there was about 40 of you who hopped in about 20 minutes in with us. Thank you for being patient with the process. We figured out what was going on. So thanks for that. And uh, thanks for being gracious. And we have this whole thing recorded, which uh, if everything works right with Zoom, they're recording it. And if they you know, get all that right, then we'll be able to download that, publish that on the web. So if you did miss the beginning, we will publish the video later on this week so you can watch any and all of it and rewatch any of this if it was helpful to you. Okay, now time for questions. Okay, and um, oh, Glory chimed in one more time. She said, never, she wouldn't forget. We had prayed together, remember? Apparently she was really, really there. All right. Anyway, question time. All right. So um, a couple of people had questions um, about, uh, you know, I think one, dis one thing where Wesleyan theology is different from other forms of broader Protestant, um, maybe a little bit more conservative churches, evangelical churches in America. Wesley Wesleyanism is definitely part of that movement. But some have asked uh, questions about Pastor Dio, What about once saved, always saved? Can someone lose their salvation? Can What's some of our perspective on, on some of that from a Wesleyan theological view? Sure. Yeah, so, you know, that's, that's a really touchy question. There's always questions, uh, some questions that, um, you know, are really hard to answer because, you know, you can, you can see shades of scriptural interpretation uh, that point toward one uh, perspective, and then other times shades of, a question that point to another uh, perspective. This is one of those uh, questions. Uh, a while ago, I guess to strike an answer of this, a while ago, uh, a few weeks ago, I was serving in our food ministry on our East Campus, and I'll withhold the name, but somebody that we all know and love that was serving there came up and asked me, he said, do you have a minute or two afterwards? And 
uh, I need to talk to you about something that's really heavy in my heart. So when we got through, we, we, we you know, we, we went over and, and we had a conversation offline and uh, he said, pastor, he said, you know, he said, I am concerned about the idea of, um, you know, he said he began talking about losing his salvation, but then he moved into the context of like the unpardonable sin. Mm. And he said, I, I, you know, I, I, have, I, I have some questions about that. And I could read through what he was asking. I finally said to him, I said, are you asking me this question because you feel like this is you or you wonder if it's you? And honestly, you guys he got all emotional. He got teared up and he said, yeah, I, I wonder if, it's, if, if I've committed that. And here's what I told him. I said, the very fact that you're asking me if you have committed that uh, means you've not committed it because you still have an interest in, you know, walking with Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. And this is kind of a, of a similar idea. I think anybody that feels like, you know, uh, well, if I could lose my salvation, have I lost my salvation? I would say, no, you haven't lost your salvation. But Wesley, uh, there, uh, you know, really the nub of this question, I believe, is rooted in uh, the biblical interpretation uh, of, I think it is, uh, is it Hebrews chapter 6, where uh, in there, the author of the book of Hebrews, uh, which we don't know who the author was, uh, we can't put our finger on who authored that, that letter, talks about, you know, like if, um, you know, if it, uh, he talks about people who had tasted of the heavenly gift, who had experienced the goodness of God, and then had stepped away from that, and, and they, had, they had left God, and they have left their salvation. John Wesley clearly interpreted that passage of skip, Scripture Hebrews 6, in, in, in that literal way that's described in there, that, um, that you, you could step away. Now, Wesley didn't think it was easy. Wesley didn't think that was something that could happen overnight, but that, you know, uh, but that it could happen. This is one of those questions within the larger circumference of broad evangelical Christianity it is really difficult to get an answer uh, uh, because really the, it really comes down to if if you know if you think you could lose your salvation some interpret that as well were they actually really saved to begin with maybe maybe they weren't maybe they had not really experienced justifying grace or other people think you know this idea that that maybe they had it and they and they stepped away with it certainly there's a a teaching within scripture that would suggest to us that once we are united with Christ, we can't be separated. And so this is one of those things that, you know, I don't honestly know you guys that we're ever going to be able to wrestle that one to the floor in strictest terms. Did Wesley feel, and you guys, here's the, here's my assignment to you go read Hebrews chapter six, read Hebrews chapter six. And the way Wesley read Hebrews chapter six he thought that there was a way that you could step back. So I'm, I, you know, and, and I can say more about that, but I think in the interest of time and because there's probably other questions, you know, I'll, I'll probably stop there, Trev. That's great. 
I've heard you say to me before on that topic, I mean, theoretically, did Wesley believe it? Do we believe that? Yeah. But is that a lot harder than people probably imagine? Yeah. The grace of God actually turns out it's pretty strong. So the grace of God is strong. Yeah. All right. All right so here's another question. Um, th- this is a really good one uh, that uh, I'm going to rephrase it. Uh, how the person said, because I get what they're trying to ask. But I'm, I'm just going to put it in different. They're asking about comparing the theological idea of irresistible grace compared to what Wesleyans understand. They were ta- they're asking in context of sanctifying grace. I think a better way to ask that is um, are brothers and sisters and the Calvinist part of the tree of Christianity. So we're all singing the same song. We just sing in different keys. Um, our Calvinist brothers and sisters believe that grace is irresistible. Um, and so grace do Wesleyans believe uh, is irres- and is there a type of grace that we can resist? Pastor Dale, does that make sense? So of, when you talk about grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, are any of those where they're just irresistible? Like well, the Calvinist? Well, I think Wesley would say prevenient grace is irresistible and prevenient grace is not, you know, that's not salvation. So, so in other words, you know, and we all, we all have loved ones or friends like this, you know, they've, they've heard the gospel. They've seen people, you know, I think it's, it's wrong to say, well, you know, they've never seen a good example of it. And I want to go, no, no, no. There are people that have seen a good example of the faith lived out before them that have had faithful family members, you know, walking in the faith, living the gospel, you know, sharing the gospel, do, doing all this, and, 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 and people resist. You know, here's the thing I have come to believe, too. We become concretized, and that's a, a word I want to say here, around our decisions. You know what I mean? Let me give you an example of that. If I choose to, you know, you take a person that uh, becomes, that is unforgiving, and maybe something's happened in their life and they, they are, they just, they have a spirit of unforgiveness and they live that. You, you follow that human being. And, and if they live in that unforgiveness long, long enough, unforgiveness, I have learned as a pastor, will become a dominant characteristic of their life. They, they literally, it's like they become unforgiveness. And they, they just, they just become this person. And I, I do think, you know, I mean, I, I have people that I remember as a young Christian, you know, back the days Gloria's mentioning, I, I, I just remember being zealous about my faith. I remember working, you guys heard me tell stories about working at Scotty's. Remember when there was Scotty's over on military trail. And I remember working over there and I remember a guy that, man, I was, man, I was doing everything I could to share the gospel with him. And man, he was just so hard against the gospel. I've always thought about him. And I still pray for him every now and again. Maybe his heart is, you know, softened to that. But I, I think, you know, part of the, the embedded idea behind provenient grace is it's not enough to save us and people could resist it. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is, yeah, that was a great example that like, hey, you can't resist prevenient grace of God chasing you, but you sure can make decisions to resist justifying sanctifying grace and our decisions become who we are. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, we have another question just asking, there's some people in here, Dale, I'm really proud of our church. You're thinking theologically in terms of, of Wesleyans, specifically in the order of salvation. One person asked, 
where, when in the order of salvation does somebody receive the Holy Spirit? Great question. Oh, man, that's great. I really think within the order of salvation, of course, um, you know, you can't become a follower of Jesus, right, without the work of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, obviously, that's going to be happening at, just, at justifying grace. But the way that I've learned, you know, just my, in terms of my own experience, walking more of Holy Spirit has been an experience for me of God's sanctifying grace coming. Does that make sense? So, you know, that's where uh, it's almost like the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, uh, enters the human heart at, at the justifying grace stage, but, yeah. but we get warmed up to it and begin to walk and understand that and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit uh, as we are, as we are, perfecting holiness out of reverence for Christ. Does that make sense? Perfect. Great answer. If we're thinking in terms of John Wesley and his life, you know, Pastor Joe, when you're talking about him hearing the, uh, uh, him hearing um, the preface to the translation to uh, Romans from Martin Luther and his heart was strangely warmed. And he says, that's when he became a Christian. The Holy Spirit was working in his life. If anybody wants to do any further extracurricular reading from Hope University, Go Google. So that was at Aldersgate Street. Google Wesley having a meeting at Fetters Lane. And that's when Wesley encountered more of the Holy Spirit. He, had, he received the Holy Spirit when he was saved. But like Pastor Dale was saying, the more you warm up to him and the more you lean into the process, uh, I think there's just more and more. I love how you put that there, Dale. And, and you know what? Here's the thing we all have to remember, everybody. You know, every, every tribe within the broad you know, spectrum of, of Christianity they, they have their own sort of nomenclature, uh, you know, to talk about these experiences, you know, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, all these different sort of, you know, monikers are around, around the, the same idea where we're going. There's something there, you know, yep. I think that's what's going on, Trev. Yeah, I, I agree. If anybody's more interested about that topic in particular, uh, uh, we preached a series in that a couple years ago. It's on YouTube called DDIY. Don't do it yourself. And it was about the Holy spirit. So you can go reference a lot of me and Pastor Dale's teaching from that. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's another, here's another question. Um, I'm going to combine a couple into one Pastor Dale. Is that okay? Yep. Um, so you're talking about what's some of the differences between other branches of Christianity and Wesleyanism. That, that's a huge, that's a huge question. But then one person in particular asks a specific question. That I think can overlap two of these. Um, one person asked, uh, uh, what about the idea of predestination? Like, well, can we resist prevenient grace? But what if we're never in God's plan? Some Christians call that predestination or not. Yeah. So some Christians believe that. What do Wesleyans believe about that? So, you know, this is a great, again, again, okay, let me just, let me just buy a little, little, uh, you know, we talked about grace. Let me buy grace around this topic. We are, we are tapping, this is one of the things I love about our church, we go right at some of these harder questions, but these are one of, this is one of the things within the broader uh, family of Christianity that, you know, there's just this one of those things can be hard to wrestle down. Uh, one branch, one tribe of the Christian faith uh, does talk a lot about predestination, the idea for the, those of you who don't know, uh, predestination that, uh, that you know, we're, we're all kind of, you know, let me just say it this way in the interest of time. So uh, let, me, let me have some grace here that, you know, we're, we're all kind of running on a track and that everything's sort of been 
kind of predestined out. And you can read the Bible and you can read some examples within Scripture and it kind of looks like that. And then you read other examples and you see where God seems to allow us to be involved in the process. And this is known as the idea of free will. And so, you know, there's the, there's the determined camp, which, which is more of the Calvinist expression of faith where, you know, things are kind of predecided and we're, we're kind of running in this track. In fact, there was a great movie year, a few years back that really kind of keyed on that. Um, I'm trying to remember what that movie was called. Uh, oh, um, investment bureau or something like that. Uh, okay. Anyhow. I digress, it's been a long day. Um, and then there's a, a camp that is, uh, you know, that there's free will that, you know, um, we, you know, you, you see that embedded in scripture. Let me give an example. Romans 8, 20, it talks about for God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God and call according to his purpose, that it's, Paul's not saying all things are good. He's saying that God will cause good to come out of bad things. So this is, in other words, God is, God is rewriting. And so as our free will is involved in that, he is going to work in, in his redemptive ways. Here's what I would tell you. John Wesley is clearly in, in more of the free will camp, not in the determined camp. So, uh, you know, some of these are things where uh, people will ask me questions when they come to community hope and they, 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 they're in, they, they will say, are, are you this or that? Are you, you know, are we here or are we there? You know, and I try to tell people that, you know, we have in essentials, we have unity and non-essentials, we have liberty. And one of the ways we describe a non-essential is where scripture gives us two equally opposing kind of ideas. We allow for grace around that, that we would go, we're not completely sure about that. My training, my belief, I'm a Wesleyan, so I'm going to be more in the free will camp. But I, I look over to my determinist brothers and sisters and go, I know there's some mystery there around that. Uh, you can show me scriptures. I can show you, you scriptures. We're going to just live in, in love around that and let Jesus sort that out at the end. I think that's the deal. But, uh, our, you know, in terms of where, where I lean, I, I certainly lean more toward the free will camp. Yeah, I, I love that. Um... For I, I looked up quick on my phone. I feel like I'm part tech nerd right now, part research assistant. Yeah, somebody just put it in the comments too. The movie that Dale was referring to is called The Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon. Uh, yeah. Vicky, Vicky and Kathy Copan talk about They show that, I think, in their skeptics group. And, and you know, I think they're some of the first people to tell me about it. It's a great movie that addresses that issue. And uh, it's great. So well, everybody's going to get off this call. We're going to read Hebrews 6. Uh, particularly, uh, you know, uh, uh, in that first part of that chapter. And then we're going to watch the Adjustment Bureau because you got nothing else to do. You're just sitting at home. <laughs> well, um, and let me just say that, uh, uh, you know, Dale, I just appreciate so much your spirit around what can be divisive, divisive issues where people in the church Man, they we they just get vicious, and the knives come out about some of the stuff. But you're willing to hold some of this with mystery and grace, yes. and that's the posture I've learned from you coming to Community Hope. I'm just grateful for that, and that's why I think our church just makes space for people. And yeah. um, I just I just honor that in you. So thanks, thank you for that. Thank you, Trav. Yeah. Well, um, we are at eight thirty, and so we're at time. We always want to honor people's time at Community of Hope.
And uh, let's all take a minute and, you know, clap for Pastor Dale. So thank you, Pastor Dale. Yay. And uh, thank you for that. And um, we want to remind everybody, we're going to close in prayer in just a minute. We want to remind everybody about next week's sessions. We worked out all the bugs tonight. Thank God. And so uh, make sure you come back next week. We have a stellar session for Hope University next week. Uh, We have Dr. Steve Siemens of Asbury Theological Seminary coming to be with us. And he's going to speak on uh, what I have learned about spiritual warfare. And Dr. Siemens is one of the uh, foremost teachers and practitioners of prayer, of Christian doctrine, of healing ministry and spiritual warfare in the world. And um, he's just a precious Christ-like soul that you definitely don't want to miss. You do. Let me say real quickly on that guys. And I know we're right at time. I just, I don't want to miss my moment to say uh, one thing when Kathy and I were putting this together, all of our presenters, all of our professors, some of them, some of them just that we know and love some of them in our church, right? We have Dr. Vic Copan and we have others. Uh, The thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to use hope you as a way to engage head and heart. And all of these presenters coming to us love Jesus and serve his kingdom and do his bidding and, and, and have some great things to share with us. Uh, Steve Siemens is a dear friend of mine. Uh, he is a professor. Trev had him. Uh, I had him. Beth had him. My daughter had him. My son-in-law, Brandon, has had him. Leah, did Leah have him? Leah had many classes with him. Okay, so I mean, this guy, this guy is just really it, do, do not miss it. So that's yeah. why I wanted to go first and work all the bugs out. So, yeah, yeah. great, uh, Pastor. You want to close this out in prayer? And- uh, yeah, yeah, great. Lord Jesus, uh, thanks for uh, the opportunity to do this. This is great. Thank you, God, for uh, our church. Thank you for the privilege we have to uh, to innovate in this season and grow our faith. I'm just so grateful that so many would tune in, Lord, and that we would be given the opportunity to think more deeply uh, and more theologically around some of the things that we hear and and that we know about church, but to really ask ourselves how this works and is worked out uh, in our lives. Uh, God, I pray that everything I've shared would be used to bring people into a closer, more passionate relationship with you. And that, Lord, you would continue to hold our world right now this difficult time. Bring and manifest your healing and hope uh, in, in, into all these dark places. For we pray in your precious, powerful name. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Love, love, love. See you next week. <laughs>